0: Hello and welcome to The Bloodsucking Feminists, your number one Kiwi-Scottish podcast focused on the three Fs, fangs, feminism, and fangirling. I'm Catherine. And I'm Keely. And you're listening to episode five, Pretentious Dishevelment, aka Twilight, by Stephanie Meyer. So it's been 10 years since, well, no, I think it is 10 years since this month since that book (laughs) just landed. In our pop culture consciousness.
1: Landed is really underselling it.
0: (laughs) It was the biggest thing since Harry Potter.
1: I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten how big an impact the Twilight series made. Maybe not immediately, but certainly in the three years following it, especially once that first movie came out, it was inescapable. Mm -hmm. And the impact it had on pop culture, particularly of young adult literature. You know, young adult literature was a thing by the time Twilight came around, but it really became a big player in publishing around this time. A lot of YA offers certainly tie their success to Stephanie Meyer in many ways, particularly those of the paranormal romance writers that came around at the same time.
0: Yeah, you know, as you know, young adult fiction has been a thing. Young adult, vampires and young adult fiction have been a thing since L.J. Smith's in the early 90s with Vampire Diaries and then The Night World actually predates a lot of the, what we think of as the the big adult urban fantasy things even twilight is basically the young adult literature version of dick grayson becoming nightwing he's got whatever and grown up and become independent and its own force separate from children's literature or batman one of the two and
1: it's, it's surprising how it's also spun as this massive surprise now i I hesitate to call it a surprise, because even though this kind of hype can only truly be organic, you can't force something like this. But this was still a book that came with a six-figure advance for free books. Mm. You know, Jodie Reamer, who is still the shining agent of YA, she knew exactly what she was doing, she knew exactly what she was getting out of this product, and I think her business savvy has a lot to do with why this series was so successful.
0: Everyone was looking in this post-Harry Potter age for the next Harry Potter. And young adult was the logical place to find it because all the kids that had grown up reading Harry Potter were now a little older. So they were trying to recapture something with that audience or something with a group of people who had a bit more money to spend independently. If Harry Potter proved that kids could read these massive books and they would save up their money to spend it... How would those kids who had bigger pocket money or part-time jobs do if they could buy things on their own without mum and dad?
1: And how would those mothers do? <laughs> that was, was it
0: called? The periphery demographic. Like college students watching um, Adventure Time. Maybe not periphery in that fandom, but that sort of thing.
1: This is an important thing to remember, because right now, I think recent figures showed that between 40 and 50% of all young adult fiction purchased in America right now is purchased by adults for themselves and not for young adults or kids. Hi! (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I know that we technically count in that demographic. There's a whole debate to be had there about...
0: Um, I'm 28. I definitely do. (laughs)
1: Well, anyway, there's a whole debate to be had about what happens when the target audience for your work is no longer the target audience, or it turns out it's older, do you deliberately start to focus your appeal of your work to those people and so on, which is not really attached to this discussion. But I think it's worth mentioning because Twilight appealed to the two most profitable demographics on the planet, teenage girls and mothers with disposable income. Mm -hmm. And wow, did it appeal. Yeah.
0: If you weren't there, it's like saying you weren't there for Harry Potter, because it was a thing. It was massive. Like, I had a friend who worked in movie theatres when the Twilight movies came out, and she took me to see the first two for a buck. And I'm like, yeah, we went for the lulls, basically. She had stories about people showing up months before the movie was released saying, when are you going to do your midnight? Are you going to do a midnight release? Can I buy tickets for the midnight release? I would like to buy X number of tickets for the midnight release.
1: Well, I wasn't on the internet for Harry Potter, but I was on the internet for Twilight, and it was hard to get away from, particularly if you were discussing young adult literature, if you were discussing feminism, if you were discussing pop culture in general. And those discussions still, they trickle on today, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mainly because there is that whole Fifty Shades of Grey thing that we kind of have to talk about at some point. Yeah.
0: Twilight and feminism was like talking to your grandparents about modern social issues. It seems in such the distant past You know, teens these days don't really recognize. Yes, I just did the teens these days thing. Get over it. <laughs> I'm an adult. Get off my lawn. Anyway, when did you first read Twilight? Were you in the middle of this hype, or did you manage to get in before the hype?
1: I first read Twilight when I was, I believe, 16. So this was 2006. So late 2006, early 2007, I believe. It was on sale in my local supermarket, where you could buy like the top 20 best-selling books of the week, and you could buy two books for seven pounds so I was on my lunch break, and I bought that, and I bought another book that I can't remember. But this one had a pretty cover, and I like vampire stories. You know, I'd read Interview with the Vampire a few times. I I liked Dracula, so I thought, why not? And I read it, and I didn't hate it. Like, given my reputation for my attitude towards this series, I genuinely didn't hate it. I thought, oh, this is interesting. It's okay. It's a bit over-the-top, a bit melodramatic for my tastes, but I, I get why it's a thing. I didn't realise how big a thing it was at the time. And I thought, well, I'll read New Moon. New Moon was atrocious. And I was just like, what is going on here? And then it wasn't really until 2007 or 2008. When did Breaking Dawn come out? Was it 2008? Uh, There were
0: one book a year. I think the first two were in September and the next two were in August.
1: Right. Because I was on holiday in Florida with my family when Breaking Dawn came out. And there was a news report on (laughs) CBS, I think it was. And we were just watching it in our hotel room. And it was talking about the midnight releases for this book. It was like watching old footage of the Harry Potter midnight openings mm. and I was sort of stunned like wait, this series? Wait, really? And then when I eventually read Breaking Dawn, I was like, what the fuck? Oh my god, this went to a dark place really really quickly. This escalated so quickly.
0: Well, I think a lot of the even the fangirls had that same reaction when they read um Breaking Dawn. So I
1: remember that. That's one of the things that's really stuck with me. And I remember because this was around the time that the movie came out, right? Or the movie was out? Because um, they, they kind of boosted one another. I remember that.
0: Yeah, the movie came out November 2008. And Breaking Dawn came out August 2008. So it was a couple of months after Breaking Dawn. So I think right. the movie almost revitalized the love affair for some
1: but it pushed it into the public consciousness in a way that became really hard to get away from. Mm-hmm. But I think this was, for many people, their first experience with feminist analysis of pop culture. Because I know it was really kind of one of the big ones for me. Yeah. You know, I knew what feminism was. I didn't necessarily apply the label to myself because I didn't quite understand what feminism was. Yeah. But once you read a book like that, and when someone points these things out to you, and you begin to draw the lines yourself, and you realise, holy crap, this is really unsettling and unhealthy, and those discussions continued for a really long time, and they still go on to a certain extent this day, although I think there has been a certain feminist reanalysis of the series.
0: Which is what we're doing right here, because we haven't really touched the book since at least 2008.
1: Yeah, re- returning to the series was a very strange experience.
0: Indeed. I first read Twilight uh, just after New Moon came out because I think I read them both at the same time. I, had, I remember writing a thing for my blog, I was this boring, about how I was going to the library and I'd heard about this really interesting book saying to do with um, a stone element to vampires. And I thought, okay, that sounds interesting. I did not know about the sparkling. Uh, <laughs> I'd heard about the stone and the granite element and how they crack when they are injured. And I'm like, oh, that's a fascinating take. I think I'll have a look. Plus, everyone else is, looks like it's going to be talking about. I might as well, you know, get with the times. I'll be, to quote Billy Black, down with the kids. <laughs>
1: he's amazing we'll have to touch on him later because he's amazing
0: (laughs) and then read the first two just consume them because it's actually a pretty easy read i was worried it was going to be a real slog through twilight again but no it has its moments where it's really consumable (laughs) consumable but i remember it was so early eclipse hadn't been released it was released later that year and that's when i really went what and it was so early we only had a handful of copies in the throughout the library system whereas now there are lots and it was still the original uk region cover did you ever see that one
1: yeah we had a really strange original cover i didn't i got the, the famous hands of the apple cover but the, the one that was available in my bookshop was this weird large-eyed skinny kind of cartoon girl
0: yeah it was um bella meets big eyes with a 1920s haircut standing in the school hallway with lockers behind her it's
1: it's a bizarre cover I mean, one of the reasons that series became so appealing was because of the iconic imagery.
0: Those covers are gorgeous. Well done to the designer there. That
1: hand model for the first book, by the way, is really, really creepy.
0: Yeah, she's still, you know, trying to earn money. Those are my hands. Those are my hands.
1: (laughs) It didn't work for Joy Trebiani. It's not going to work for you.
0: (laughs) No, I'm just imagining Edward going, how you doing? i think it was just a case of right time right book and something in it just hit with its target audience
1: yes so one of the most famous things that came out of the twilight phenomenon particularly on certain corners of the internet were the top-notch extremely detailed very funny analytical recaps of the entire series by Linda jones disclaimer, she has been a guest on my other podcast several times and this is very lovely. And she has three main theories as to why the books are so popular. And I think they're going to be the things that we talk about here because really we couldn't put it better ourselves. So her first theory as to why the series is so enticing is the metaphor of the vampire as for teenage boy, which isn't really a a metaphor for vampirism we've encountered in our episodes so far, and it's not one that I was necessarily familiar with in vampire fiction that I've read outside of YA But it makes a whole lot of sense mm-hmm. because we're because...
0: a sixteen-year-old girl who's interested in boys are just basically a whole other species, probably at a whole other school. <laughs>
1: And remember, Edward technically isn't 17 anyway. He's 90-something? Uh, he
0: died, um, 1918, was it? Spanish influenza?
1: Something, yeah. Yeah, it was that. So he's certainly... He's a grown-ass actually. He's a proper grown-up several times over.
0: How many times has he graduated from
1: college? Enough to have a really fancy mural on their wall. Which I thought was a cute detail, but... Yeah, credit to the film, which you're going to have to hear me say a lot, actually, given the context. But it also appeals to the very base nature of the book. For a series that is so infamous for its abstinence-friendly views, this series is obsessed with fucking.
0: (laughs) They have an entire discussion about it. Um, Not the whole, if we have sex, you will die thing, but just the, can can you? He's like, yes.
1: Which opens up so many questions. How does he know that he can
0: (laughs) I think it's probably gleaned from the fact that everybody in his house is breaking it.
1: That seems to be the main reason to become a vampire in this series, is that you will stay young and beautiful and you will have housebreaking sex for the rest of your life. Also money. So, and money.
0: And beautiful looks.
1: Super. And escaping all of your responsibilities. Yeah, credit. Well, the first reason is obviously vampires, teenage boy, particularly because you have this older man who looks age-appropriate, but is ready for sex. Although, really, she's more ready than he is. Yeah,
0: he's got issues and we'll cover those. So, yes.
1: The second part is the ever-infamous allure of the bad boy. But, Edward is really a very strange kind of bad boy because he's, he's the most mopey, goody-two-shoes bad boy you could imagine. He doesn't even do any of the evil things that you would associate with vampires because he eats animals, which makes him vegetarian, yeah, apparently. His,
0: his one defiance of Carlisle was him going off and eating rapists, so...
1: Oh no, you monster! Yeah!
0: At least Angel, you know, had a really dark side.
1: The dark side of Edward is that he is constantly fighting with himself not to kill and eat Bella.
0: Yeah. Which is is pretty bad. It is an issue. (laughs) I I will give him that. That is an obstacle to any relationship wanting to eat the other person. But...
1: But it does play into... (laughs) There's a horrible joke in there
0: somewhere, isn't there?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it plays into and also in a way subverts the bad boy trope because the general trope of the bad boy that you see in a lot of this kind of fiction, if you note something like Beauty and the Beast, or even the way that a lot of stories tackle the Dracula-Mina relationship, is that she can change him. Mm -hmm. But in this, she wants him to change her. And that will in some way change him for the better. Because he will have this relationship, this very strange, obsessive, codependent, myopic relationship that will fix everything. The cold, prickly, whoopey, really self-loathing bad boy will become the dream man. Because all things considered, he's not really... I mean, he's still really creepy, obsessive, abusive creep. But let's not underplay the creep stuff here. Creep, 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 okay? Yeah, he's just one of many in this book, though. But it's very clear that this is a bad boy written by someone who's never really experienced bad boys outside of maybe Wuthering Heights.
0: This is the Mormon bad boy.
1: Yeah, and I hesitate to continually bring up Stephanie Meyer's religion background in here, because I think it's unfair. And we wouldn't do this with, say, a typical Christian writer, I don't think, unless they were. Well, no, well, I don't think
0: the anti we... thing in a lot of vampire novels is always a big thing.
1: Yeah, I think it is something that there are former Mormons and Mormons who have talked about Stephanie Meyer's work in that context, and I, we will link to that because that's really fascinating. and Offers a perspective that we can't give. But when you hear her talk about the relationship and the way that she used to talk about her very personal attachment to Edward, it becomes increasingly difficult to play Death of the Offer.
0: Mm-hmm, and that 's a problem we 've been having just in general in this internet age of interaction with authors on such a grand scale
1: and Stephanie Meyer was one of the authors who really started that. She used to interact with her fans on her Myspace page all the time yep and she, she doesn't have a she doesn 't have a Twitter, but you know she had a website which I believe her brother mostly maintained it was terrible. after she left Myspace, which was not good he was there was a man who needed some p r lessons
0: Oh, I was just thinking the actual design of the website Oh, but... well, that website
1: was. Hilarious. Um, but now that she's, I think we'll, we'll move on later yeah. to how Stephanie well, Meyer talks about the to- series now, because that's a whole other thing.
0: Yeah, well, she'd come from a reality TV fandom background, because she was actually, I, I've seen the original posts on um, reality TV. I've seen them too. TV. Yeah, because the original title was Fox, and she talks about the change of the title there, which is actually an interesting thing to read, this pre-Twilight Stephanie Meyer and the writing of Twilight without any of the hype behind it. She um, talks an awful lot so about her a lot fan- of her oh, interactions with fans are from the perspective of a fan turned author. Just in a, diff- she's just moved into a different fandom, she- which
1: explains an awful lot about Twilight fandom in general.
0: Yes, yeah, so. She even had pages on a website like you know, fan castings where she'd put up her own choices and other people's suggestions and things like that.
1: Yeah, the problem, to tie it back to the bad boy theme, the problem that has always happened with this theme is that in real life, bad boys seldom change. In real life, bad boys are horrible people. You know, you can give them special treatment and you can have them as your little project. That novelty wears off really quickly and can enter some very dark, often exciting extremely difficult to escape places. Mm -hmm. And the problem with Twilight is that for all of the discussions that we've had that he's not really that great a bad boy, he's mostly just a mopey, self-hating jerk, he doesn't really change. He's always very, very controlling of her. He actually gets... It escalates in a big way. Not so much in this book, but I think it's worth touching on because it is something that can't really avoid.
0: Yeah, that was the thing I, I thought about when reading this book again. A lot of the big issues I had with Twilight, I realised, weren't really in this book. There were some seeds of where it might have started, like, I don't know if you noticed, but the person who originally took the parts out of Bella's truck to keep her from driving off in the night was Charlie, first of all, and that's where Edward got the idea from.
1: There's a whole thing to be written about her her dad and how he changes in the movies in particular.
0: He, like, exists in the movies for stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's got, like, a personality and stuff. He's awesome in the movies.
0: He's got a moustache got a shotgun yeah although he was cleaning it while drinking so i'm I'm
1: (laughs) he's a great cop
0: well he has crimes to actually fight in this case so but yeah most of the problems are actually in the later books when the relationship starts becoming really obsessive and codependent on both sides i actually enjoyed reading some of the early scenes where they're like flirting or bantering i'm just like oh i can see why people liked you guys
1: I think what struck me about those early scenes is the way that Edward keeps saying, I have to stay away from you. you know, <laughs> we should be friends. You don't want to be friends with me. And then he's just like, you know what? I actually can't stay away from you. I'm just going to like stay here. Yeah. And like creep into your bed at night.
0: Yeah. He's just like, I can't be friends. Sits so next to you
1: in class. Because even Bella at that point in time has some self-awareness to know this isn't really a good idea. This yeah. is kind of weird. And then she's suddenly, I am irrevocably in love with him. Yeah. The third one is, is very simple. It's wish fulfillment. But it's a very fascinating and almost mundane take on wish fulfillment for a lot of people their ultimate wishes i want to go to hogwarts or (laughs) i want to you know i want to join the fellowship of the ring i want to be a hero fly with dragons and get you know westeros i want i want to be a hero i want to be powerful
0: really want to go to westeros
1: well they want to not die in westeros which in itself is a fantasy
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was going to say
1: But, like, you get this. I mean, you're from Lord of the Rings country. That must be a huge, you know, fantasy for a lot of people. I mean, you get to walk around hobbit holes all the time, right, I assume?
0: Well, actually, the most recent um, film tourism I did was I went to some of the locations at what we do with the shadows. Mostly because I was shopping along Cuba Street and the place where they're hanging outside the clothes shop and one of them is humping a light post. My sister used to work there, so... <laughs> so there's some pictures of me standing outside of Glassens that I'm going to put up on the, um, on the Twitter page just as accidental vampire tourism. But yeah, it is a, a wish, big wish fulfilment. I don't know... You don't understand how cool I was when I was in Europe and people were like, oh my god, you're from New Zealand. I want to go there because Lord of the Rings.
1: And this is also ties into Twilight, because Forks ended up becoming its own tourist industry after these books. But it doesn't offer that kind of wish for It's not about I'm going to save the world or visit dragons or perform magic. It's I'm going to be young and beautiful forever and have bed-wrecking sex.
0: And be financially Which... secure. You don't know how big a fantasy that is for some people.
1: Oh yeah, I mean that ties in a lot when we get to Breaking Dawn but it's worth noting that the Collins and the Hales live a really sweet life, they've got a lot of money, they don't need to work, they may never ever need to work again Yeah, It's kind of hazy on where they get all of their money from, but once again that's too much of a detail to have to worry about Yeah, It's the ultimate kind of domestic fantasy Yeah, which yeah. is a family a husband, ultimately a child, a house and never-ending passion. Yeah, I think... Never-ending youthful passion.
0: The wish fulfillment definitely ramps up in the later books. Especially when Bella actually gets everything she ever wanted and stuff she didn't want to, but turns out to actually have wanted all along.
1: Or at least... Which methods. is a problem in and of itself.
0: In this case, it's the wish fulfillment of being special. just or being it, recognized by someone so special as being the most special thing in the world.
1: And it instantly happens. I mean, the moment she arrives in Forks, every guy in that school is like falling over himself to get near her, except for Edward. So, of course, suddenly she wants him.
0: Well, and Emmett and Jasper, but they have reasons. But even a teacher is like,
1: and she really doesn't want this, which is fascinating to me. I mean, upon rereading this book, all I could think was, wow, I really, really hate Pella Swan." (laughs) She's not a nice person. She's judgmental. She's cold. She's really, really she's unnecessarily an- nasty to people who are just trying to be friendly to her.
0: Yeah, there's also- She's like,
1: oh, I've got all these people who just want to be my friend now. What is with that? Why won't they just leave me alone? There are
0: people who want to do nice things for me. How disgusting.
1: To give credit to the movie, they cut that, which I'm really glad for.
0: Yeah, she's like... There's that
1: wonderful scene where... Her dad says that he's got this truck for her, and she's genuinely excited to get this truck.
0: Yeah, she accidentally injures um, Jacob, but hey, <laughs> whatever. Her um, clumsiness is also a bit more natural, I think, in the...
1: Okay, we have to talk about the clumsiness. It's
0: the Mary Sue um, fault, isn't it?
1: Yeah. She has no other discernible features that are displayed to the rest of the world, I guess, because inside she's, her discernible features are that she's just nasty. Yeah. Um, but clumsiness so, is like, oh, every girl can relate to that. No, she's, she's suicidally clumsy.
0: Well, it's the excuse they at the to end of the book, <laughs> book that she just fell down some stairs <laughs> and out a window. And I hate the term Mary Sue because it's always ridiculously applied. But the Mary Sue fault is sort of that one fault that any writer tries to give, to counter, with whether, whether imagined or whatever, the accusation of a too-perfect character. See, Bella has enough faults of her own. She's judgmental, she's... Nasty, she really just doesn't care about her family, despite all her saying she does
1: she's exceptionally callous to her family. I found yeah, I was actually shocked like I mean, her I dad her dad doesn't really display any discernible traits in this in the book he's there to be babied, yeah, he's which plays more be... into this idea that women are there to. Play these domestic roles.
0: Yeah, this is a man who has managed to survive on his own for 16 years, or what have you. But apparently, no, the moment um, Bella comes along, he regresses to putting metal in the microwave. And not, you know, by accident because he comes home late after a shift, and, or he's had a really bad day and just sort of forgets to take the spoon out. No, this is just more of a man-don't-know-microwave-wear-woman. It's like, Bella talks about how she's leaving because she loves her mother, and then she just doesn't contact her after she arrives in Forks. I was like, oh, fine, I'll write the damn email.
1: I was really kind of put off by the depiction of her mother as just this extremely flaky, borderline, promiscuous floozy who cannot function without a man in her life, so just latches onto them one after the other.
0: And now that she's found a man, she's totally happy with her daughter just
1: picking And up. there's this tinge of resentment that comes from Bella there, but I think it's mostly just ambivalence towards her mother. But when you contrast the life that her mother has led with the one that she ultimately has, which is the first man I have any interest in I fall hopelessly in love with, marry and have a child with.
0: Because that's the same thing Renee did with Charlie. They were high school sweethearts, got married, had a kid, and yeah. then Renee just upstixed with Bella and ran away to the complete opposite of Forks. Although I think part of that is just the plot device of getting a girl to Forks.
1: <laughs> that's the problem with this book as well. The plotting is horrendous.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to see what exactly changed from the original draft to whatever Jody Rimmer and the editors and everything hammered out in this final form. Because I know one of the big changes was that Phil was, wasn't he originally like the school principal or something like that at Bella's high school? And they got married and he was like a total creeper and that's why she left?
1: Oh, I honestly can't remember. I know that the original, you know, the origins of this book are almost infamous. Stephanie Meyer had a dream about a young sparkly teenage couple in a meadow where he was talking to the girl about how he loves her but he'll kind of eat her. She wakes up is completely enraptured by his dream and in three months cranks out a story uh the meadow scene she says is basically as it was when she first wrote it that's how she started Cause she,
0: yeah, cause and she started partway through the book then went back which is probably why often some of the beginning seems a bit stronger than the actual end of the book
1: i feel like the original draft didn't have that final quarter where reamer probably came in and was like okay so do you know what a plot is <laughs> right because you're going to need one of those because I've just made you a free a free book contract and we're going to make this work. But she also, while she didn't originally plan a free book series, she did write a sequel, which was the sort of early iteration of Breaking Dawn.
0: With, complete with Baby and everything. That was the end game.
1: And that's what's so fascinating is ultimately, even before this became the quote unquote saga, she still had that particular ending in sight. That wasn't like a publisher mandate. She still wanted it to be, and then she married and had a child in the end. I wonder if imprinting was in the original one. We'll get to that when we get to that series. I think a that...
0: lot of the werewolf stuff was a thing that resulted from the expansion. I think all of Jacob, for example, was.
1: Okay, I'm quoting from our Eternal Service Wikipedia here. Originally, Meyer wrote a book titled Forever Dawn, which was a direct sequel to Twilight. While well, the basic story remained the same, Forever Dawn was narrated completely from Bella's point of view, the werewolves and Jacob were only sketchily developed, Victoria and Laurent were both alive, and there was an epilogue. Remember, the, vam- the werewolves were only really inserted there to pad out the fake rivalry slash love triangle.
0: Books two and three are filler, for the real plot.
1: Apparently the original birth scene was way more grotesque. Ah, Holy shit, how did she even manage that?
0: Seriously, just, well, just write body horror. Just do it.
1: Yeah, I feel like someone needs to send, like, the Hellraiser series or something to Stephanie Meyer.
0: Well, she didn't even watch vampire movies. I think she walked she in was on too Interview scared. with Vampire yeah. for something, and then just left partway through, and that's about all her vampire knowledge. She had to get, like, her sister-in-law or something, or her sister who was a big Buffy fan to read over stuff after she
1: wrote it. She was too scared to finish watching Interview with the Vampire. Yep.
0: So the other main factor of the Wish Fulfillment is one that is associated with a lot of vampire fiction anyway. The eternal youth, the, the strength, the power, the being eternally beautiful, which is not unappealing. <laughs> I will admit that.
1: It's worth noting that this is a particular strain of vampirism where becoming a vampire makes you more beautiful.
0: Yeah, I think because James or something was originally described as sort of being average in looks, and thus there was something about how that would mean he was an ugly dude.
1: You know, which asked, is a whole if, can of worms unto itself. Yeah, which he got the up. So
0: the upgrade only took him to average, so it was like... Ugh, because
1: become... Bella, for all of her talk that she is so plain and unappealing, is constantly described in the most beautiful terms possible. There is an amazing post by Mallory Artberg on the toast that takes the piss out of this.
0: Yeah, because she talks about how pale she is, but she refers to herself as ivory-skinned. Which, if you were talking negatively about yourself, I wouldn't use the term ivory-skinned. I would Say stuff like so pale you could see your reflection
1: one of one of the lines that Mallory Artberg has in her piece that I think it's not a twilight quote, but it might as well be is she wasn't perfect. her mouth was if anything, a trifle too full, like an overflowing cupid's bow. oh God, it's that kind that. of stuff, you know. I'll link it so that we can put it up because it really captures it better than we could. She's already beautiful to start off with. I mean, she's described in mostly, like... Well, I will say the Stephanie Meyer put up a long description on her website of what Bella actually looks like in very specific detail, and it was like, you're just describing yourself, aren't you?
0: Yeah, that was the thing. Whatever her looks, the entire male population of Forks had no problem with them.
1: Yeah, exactly. But people don't tend to be described as being unattractive in this series. Yeah. Think- well, at least it's spook. I mean, everyone's pretty stacked.
0: Yeah, even James... It's described as sort of, you know, nondescript and average. That's about it. Victoria is the beautiful villain. Um, Rosalie is just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful until, you know, Bella.
1: That's the thing. They're not even described. They're
0: just beautiful. They are the beautiful people. They're the plastics. They're vampire royalty. On Wednesday, we eat bears.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it does... I think this is one of the things that a lot of people had problems with when it came to analysis of this series, which is the way that beauty, and youth as well, but mostly beauty, is elevated as the pinnacle of importance not your personality not your ambition not your strength or your heart or any of this stuff just how good do you look how many beautiful expensive clothes can you be dressed up in
0: and then throw out after one wearing
1: oh which is a whole big problem that i have
0: <laughs> again that's one of the flaws that comes up in the the later books when everything just goes
1: yeah I'm, I'm i'm leaving
0: i assume that is the editor just noping out like edward in the film where he tries to lie and he's just like nope and leaves in the middle of the conversation because he can't lie or the lie isn't being believed
1: not only is beauty of the utmost importance but the most awful horrific hellish thing that can ever happen to you is for you to get 18 old (laughs) yeah 18 is old in the series by the way how fucking insulting is that Well,
0: remember Carlyle is 23 and Ismay is 26
1: Ugh. I understand the fear of aging, I really do. <laughs> but I'm 25 now, so fuck you.
0: Well, at least you're not all <laughs> We'll mate. get to that.
1: <laughs> oh, Christ, of course not. I'm geriatric.
0: I'm over the hill, so. But yeah, that, that's just a whole other thing. Like, how's anyone supposed to get any respect when you're a 23-year-old vampire trying to be expert Doctor Man? I know. That's one thing I did appreciate about the movies, <laughs> is that they actually cast, like, actual adults.
1: Because In the most, the most terrible makeup jobs you'll ever see.
0: I know. But at least there was enough of an age gap that there could be some form of more parental role rather than just our slightly older siblings. Because if they're the youngest at seventeen, the old and dad is twenty three, that's six years. That's less than a lot of siblings. And Bella is terrified of being older than Edward. It's like everyone being terrified of Monica Bellucci being a bondwoman because she's slightly older than Daniel Craig.
1: Forgetting the fact that she's freaking Monica Bellucci.
0: Yeah, I know. That was just ridiculous. Like even was like she's oh, she's ugly and all the other guys are like, uh, I'm sorry. I was too busy um, busy <laughs> thinking about Monica Bellucci."
1: Okay, I have a question for you. Yes. It's 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 a bit of a trick question, but I'm interested to see if you can answer it. Uh-huh. Name one thing Bill and Edward have in common.
0: They wear coats. <laughs> <laughs> they take biology class they're into getting the answers right on tests
1: for all of this series skill at capturing a particular kind of feverish intensity of the the, the first flush of passion and romance
0: they like lincoln park they both like lincoln Park. well they both own the city of lincoln park there we go which is just
1: why would you admit that in public
0: i own lincoln park
1: you know that means stephanie meyer owns lincoln park right because we all know she's a big muse fan
0: yeah, well, the, the you know how she listens to a CD that Phil gave her, and it's like really loud, and they don't actually mention who it is. It's Lincoln Park. She mentioned that on her website. Why do I remember oh this? Because it's actually in my notes. Hey, it's the Lincoln Park scene.
1: But uh, there's a bit as well where someone, I think Edward or Bella says. You know, he asked me what my favourite books were, so I told him. But we don't actually get to hear what her favourite books are, and I wonder if that's part of the self-insert element. Because usually in these situations they always say, oh, I like Austen or I like Bronte. It's like, I would really love one person to just mention something completely wild one day. Just, oh yeah, I, I love the collected works of Thomas Pynchon, or I love a- translated Italian realism, or I love the sad, or something just really weird like that. You know, so boring to hear, I'm special because I read books, and the books are always Jane Austen.
0: Yeah, it should be like I really like Jackie Collins. And Rest in peace. Yeah, the vampire just shows up and there's like this room just filled with Jackie Collins books.
1: Oh, I would have loved it so much if Edward had the entire Lucky Sant'Angelo series.
0: <laughs> or just the girl who likes vampires just has like vampire stuff everywhere. And just wants to know, okay, so what book what did this book get right? You need to read this book. Tell me, what did they get right? What did they get wrong?
1: But that that's one of the things that must be appealing to a lot of readers for Bella is that she doesn't have a personality which makes it easier for you to put yourself in that position. And I get the appeal of that, but when you're inserting yourself into the character of someone who's so horrible all the time, and selfish and almost egotistically so.
0: Yeah, it's the the problem with um, Bella's Actual personality is the real difference between show and tell. Maya tells us, Maya about through Bella tells us certain things. Except Bella's actions and other thoughts do not match up with the result. It's like how I said earlier. She says she loves her mother and then just doesn't talk to her after she moves to Fox. It has to be really prompted, stuff like that, and this is probably just just one of the flaws of Maya being such a new writer at the time because this was her very first book. I don't think there was much editing done at least on her part initially. I don't know what happened after um little House, little Brown, sorry, not little house <laughs> acquired it, but this is her first book, not like even the her first completed book, but and she's got like you know twenty five half completed novels in the trunk or something. This was it. this was sort of draft one of book one
1: done. I wish it was that easy. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often.
0: Yeah, I have to say, props to you, Mai. You've done what I haven't, so well done on that.
1: But there's something about that unedited frenzy that I think is what makes healing for a lot of people. It's like pure id. You know, for all the talk we have about Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles being her id, this is a really common thing in vampire fiction, isn't it?
0: Us vampire writers are just so idi. <laughs> So we've talked a little bit about how some of the things in Twilight seem to be unintentional on Maya's part. Can we talk about the sort of the mental health of Edward? I mean, I'm not going to try and diagnose him with anything, but there's definitely some things that he is displaying. We we talked about his his self-loathing and everything, but one thing that really struck me was his his touch phobia and his touch starvation. Is that a word?
1: So he's starved for touch and i guess we can say human emotions he lives every other person's thoughts in his head
0: every other person's emotions he lives with a guy who can control other people's emotions and he's living in a house with three other couples who are perfectly in love perfectly happy and constantly parading it in front of his eyes and in his ears and in his head and he's surrounded by teenagers living their lives so he and he has neither of those things any physical contact he would have would be with the vampires who are cold and stone-like and probably not even going to touch him much anyway. So when he has Bella who is warm and soft and wants to touch him he doesn't know how to deal with it. And then when he finally gets over his initial fear of it he, he's so clingy. He can't not touch her. He's drinking in all the um, physical touch the warmth and softness. He's drowning in this thing that we all take for granted these days. And I thought that was just really, really sad. I, I was like, oh, Edward.
1: It almost creates some depth for him. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those
0: things I wish had been explored a little more. But... One of
1: the big problems with the series in general is Stephanie Meyer has straight up admitted she's too lazy to do research. She would love to write a story about Carlyle's beginnings, but she never will because it would involve doing research and she just doesn't want to. Which I almost admire. But when you delve into areas like mental health and depression, whether you mean to or not, and I know she's claimed her series her books have no messages whatsoever <laughs> That's never okay, then. That's a totally different thing. But when you even approach this area, it would have been nice for an agent or an editor to step in and think, Maybe we should do a little more of this. Maybe we in our you know publishing power can bring someone on board to have a chat with you about this
0: because this comes up later with ismay as well because she suddenly just drops a tmi bomb on bella by saying she had a baby that died and then she threw herself off a cliff and i'm just like whoa ismay i, I know she's like family now but
1: that doesn't even get into I'm everything a place later.
0: and it's not baseball <laughs>
1: <laughs> that doesn't even get into everything with rosalie whose uh, backstory is horrendous.
0: Raper's backstory.
1: But it's almost like and rape plus Bella, rape revenge fantasy.
0: Not, not Bella, um, Alice in a mental asylum. Mental health and the reactions to mental health are a big thing in the series, whether intentional or not. I mean, Bella goes into a deep depression when Edward leaves. Edward has just massive issues of various kinds. Rosalie has rapers' backstory and probably associated traumas with that. Esme lost a child, probably had some sort of postpartum issues as well, threw herself off a cliff. And Alice was confined to a mental asylum because of her visions and was deemed insane because of them. Any other women I've missed out of?
1: Not in this particular book. I think everything else we get into later is a whole different thing that we'll touch on when we get to those episodes. Yeah. But it doesn't bode well for sensitivity in these areas. I feel like it was a case of Stephanie Meyer was told, you need plot, you need drama, and she turned to her reality TV.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, as we've discussed earlier, she, isn't, a, she was, isn't or wasn't a vampire fiction reader. You know, she was one of those, I, I refuse to read in my genre for fear I will be tainted. Or in her case, she said something about also finding out she'd done everything wrong. Spoiler alert, Stephanie, you did. But the thing that has always surprised me about Twilight and the other books is that for all her avoidance of vampire fiction, she still managed to hit a whole lot of tropes on the head.
1: Which just shows how much they have permeated pop culture.
0: Exactly. She's still got the traditional vampire types in there. It's impressive. How much has she picked up from her sister-in-law who likes Buffy and just mentioned something? Or just other movies or stuff like that? Because she doesn't watch anything over a PG-13 or something, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, but she also reads the classics. And a lot of those are tied to particularly the the classic vampire. You know, there's a lot of, of Dracula in the Brontes in particular. Or there's at least a lot of what Dracula became in the Brontes which is the, oh, so brooding and sexy. It's like, you know, he's kind of a rapist, guys.
0: Yep. And also just how much of this was, you know, people making suggestions when she needed to actually fill out the plot. But yeah, she's nailed a lot of the tropes. Maybe taking them in slightly different variations, but so many tropes. Just all the tropes, seriously. It's actually quite impressive how vampire fiction then has permeated the public consciousness. That even someone who was reasonably sheltered in her fiction consumption managed to hit them all like there's so much in twilight that is similar to um lj smith's early books that makes you wonder but if she hasn't since she hasn't read them i'm going to take her at her word it just peeved me off that when the vampire diaries came out everyone was like ah lj smith ripped off twilight no unless she's got a tardis no but this is
1: such a strange series in terms of the tropes it takes on because it's utterly derivative in so many ways in its execution and its style and the tropes that it takes on and even in the appeal that it has I mean I don't know if Stephanie Meyer is very familiar with a lot of the romance novels of the 80s you know the big door stoppers like Catherine Coulter and Fabio? the no means yes fabio covers you know because there's a lot of that the only difference here is in those books shit happens and things don't happen in this book this book is so plotless that it was actually kind of astounding to be reminded of that
0: yeah because they edited in the plot a bit earlier in the movie because the, the plot just literally walks in late in the book well the um, it strides not so much in. the plot but the conflict the big big conflict
1: yeah, it's not even a plot, is it? It's really just Bad like, guys oh, show up. Bro, bad guys do bad spanner, things. Spanner.
0: Speaking of things that may or may not be unintentional, there's one thing I've always thought about these books is that there's sort of a safe zone for characters. There's sort of three zones. There's the consumed into, and sucked into the black hole of the Bella Edward love thing, where any character who enters the zone becomes terrible. Is the the outer zone which is just like people who show up and are things and then there is the safe zone which is where characters get just enough detail that they're interesting but not so much attention that they get sucked into the black hole so this is characters like rosalie and alice and things like that in the first book but then when alice really gets all the attention in later books black hole gross and so, with the sketchy things that we've been that we see in some of these characters, you can infer a lot of really interesting things, and that's where fandom has run with them. And then Maya comes along in the letterbox
1: and is like, psych, you thought they were interesting." And I think that's one of the reasons that the fandom became as big and powerful and as much of a pop culture juggernaut as it did there are so many gaps to fill in here in a a similar way to what was happening with harry potter harry potter is a much more expansive universe with way more characters and there's way more development there but there are still areas where it's like well i wonder what would happen if you put this character here or what goes on beyond this bit or the history of this yeah and this one it is way more driven by character than plot or story or world building There's really big quotes around plot. Just imagine giant air quotes, okay? But here, you know, it's like, well, there's nothing I know about this character except that she's kind of a bitch. So let's find out more about her.
0: Yeah, it's like uh, Rosalie was a big example of characters who got explored because the little bit we see in this book is she's beautiful, she's not a fan of Bella.
1: She's the only one out of the family that's not a fan of Bella instantly.
0: Yeah, even Emmett is just trying to, you know, keep the peace and I still want to get laid tonight way.
1: He's such a bro, it's really <laughs> distracting.
0: <laughs> Which I actually like the idea of just this bro vampire just doing his thing. You know, he's like totally happy just rowing about trying to keep his wife happy, but also wanting to go out and kill some bears. But the little bits we see with Rosalie are complex. She's She looks like she's got everything. She's got everything Bella wants. She's got the eternal youth. She's She's stunningly beautiful. She's got the loving husband she's got everything and yet who is jealous of who really but she's jealous
1: for the most stereotypically sexist reason which is you've got a working uterus well
0: partially but also just the fact that bella is alive and rosalie still hates that bit of herself that isn't alive and And she wasn't gang
1: raped (laughs) yeah
0: she wasn't gang raped and saved to in the for the purpose of being some guy's boyfriend because remember, that's why she got saved.
1: Because... Which I would have loved more of a, a development on, because that's a really horrible reason to save someone's life, to solely define them as the other of an, a guy.
0: Yeah, she, she was turned with the hopes that she and Edward would hook up. That did not work. Rosalie just went, whatever's, and went off and saved herself a great big man, and We talk about in later books Bella's amazing control, but remember, Rosalie's got no kill count. She, I know I'm tipping ahead into future books here, but you know, she went off and killed all those dudes that raped her, and blood everywhere, and she didn't eat them. Well, I mean, when I mean kill count, I mean she hasn't actually bitten anybody, or been consumed by the bloodlust. She's killed the rapists, naturally. But she didn't eat them, didn't bite them, didn't sink into the bloodlust. She came across a dude who'd been more by a bear. She doesn't bite him. Still, she picks him up, carries him for miles. What was it a hundred miles? To Carlisle to get him to do it because she thinks she can't. Do she
1: it. would walk one hundred uh, miles. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> had to. I had to. To be
0: the vamp who took you to <laughs> that vamp who bit you just for me.
1: Da da da. da. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. But she certainly is arguably the most interesting woman out of the main ensemble. You could make a case for Alice, but Alice delves way too much, much into, I like to use humans as my personal dress-up toys for She's my liking.
0: pixie dream girl. Oh, she, she, she is the worst to make worst Bella's life better instead of a
1: Which doesn't make that, that trope any more progressive, does it?
0: No. She's the fairy godmother with plot point yeah. powers. But
1: I... F- when you get further definitions of these characters, I think it becomes clear that for all of Meyer's attachment to this world, her focus is very myopic. It is Bella and Edward.
0: It is the black hole.
1: Exactly. I mean, even Jacob eventually gets sucked into it in the worst way possible, which we'll get to when we get to that book.
0: Yeah, it, everything must be sacrificed for the greater good of Bella and Edward. Or even the reason and the intelligence of other characters. I mean... Everyone's reaction to the Bella just falling th- down the stairs and out a window thing. Everyone's just like, oh, okay, you can go back and live with your father even though you know, you're know you not happy there apparently or whatever. Everything serves to exist, those two getting together, including other characters.
1: If it happens to make Bella look really self-sacrificing, all the better.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously every character in a book must serve the plot in or character development in some respect, but this is the worst case of it in which any sort of independent thought gets sacrificed. Like Charlie is completely ignorant of stuff that goes on because it enables the plot. It's that sort of thing.
1: Once again, giant quotes around plot.
0: This is a man who is the sheriff of a town. He's been a sheriff for a while. He clearly knows how to cop. Well, I hope he knows how to cop. But any of these reasoning skills or whatever that he would have uh, just shoved in the microwave with a spoon whenever it is needed. And that happens with everything else. Everything must serve the greater good of Ballet and Edward.
1: It's fascinatingly low stakes, all things considered, because even when it's supposed to elevate to higher stakes in the later books, it quickly turns into a, a tea party misunderstanding. And yeah. oh, it's fine, we don't actually have to sacrifice anything. It is interesting, you know, the, the, the higher
0: stakes of this one is... I'm trying to actually think what the high stakes are. Just the at the end when she's like, I want to be a vampire. And he's like, no. And they're like, okay, well, we'll just keep fighting about this in later books. Sequel hook. And that's pretty much it. Except for when they introduce the three. And even then, it's just sort of a whatever's moment where all the good plot just sort of leaves with Lauren going off to actually maybe consider becoming a vegetarian. Which again, more fascinating stuff is happening, but because it doesn't serve that... Bella Edwardness out the window because I think Lauren was a fascinating potential character I mean he's tired of the the nomadic lifestyle of the just the killing and the slaughtering and the feeding and he's really intrigued by the idea of being able to put down a permanent route he's obviously jealous uh, of the Cullens we've got a character who is jealous and possibly is coming to the same conclusion that Carlyle had many years ago after a a much longer after a long life of of doing bad things and no he just sort of says I'm sorry James is coming sucks to be you I'm going to Alaska and that sort of sums up the level of character development a lot of characters get sucks to be you I'm off to Alaska
1: do we even need to talk about Jacob
0: Jacob is the plot mailman of the story (laughs) like he literally shows up gives Bella all the information she needs and then leaves my notes actually say plot mailman He's not a plot device. He he delivers the device. Also,
1: and that to me felt like a that felt like an an editor mandate.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so how how does she find out about the vampires? Uh, bing. <laughs> yeah. He he just basically lays it all out, and it's like, and then at the end, it's like, yeah, but I don't believe it. I don't believe they're vampires and we're werewolves. It's just a story. Dun dun dun.
1: <laughs> I believe that story as much as I believe that this is the real hair on my head. That wig, by the way, is that. I, I, if someone were to tell me that was a sentient being unto itself, I would believe them.
0: <laughs> Donald Trump is jealous of that head, of that wig.
1: <laughs> oh, he's ready to snatch that. I will say credit to the movie for at least taking like half a second longer to build a tentative friendship between Bella and Jacob. You know that scene at the beginning where she gets her truck and, and she you see... hits him with the door. <laughs> Yeah, but the way that they sort of look back at, you know, their dads.
0: Oh, gosh, every just, scene should just have Billy and Charlie just messing about. And the, messing who are around.
1: adorable, by the way. They're down with the kids.
0: Yep. That's one know. of the things I
1: think that, the, the watching the film is a strange experience because I talked about how reading the book was strange because we live in the post-50 Shades world and, oh, well, it's not as bad as this or this is as bad as this. All I can think when watching the film, I can't review it as an independent piece of work. All I can think is, wow, they really cut out a lot of the fat here.
0: And added in some actual good things. Like, did you notice how diverse that school was?
1: Not just yeah. um,
0: Eric and Angela and Tyler being um, described <laughs> in any manner, beyond um, Angela being tall and Eric being short, but look in the background. There is like so many characters of colour. I think there's at least one teacher who isn't white. And what is the... Official... Diversity. Yes, I'm just going to Google it right now. Oh, it's just coming up. Oh, here we go. But yeah, it, was just, it looked more like something you'd set in California, which makes me wonder where they're getting all these extras from.
1: Cause To me, okay. that feels like the film's indie aesthetic and sensibility coming through.
0: Yeah, so... Oh, well, there's quite a bit of... Okay, so... Oh, wow. Fox is actually a lot less white than I imagined. So, other race, 24.1% in 2010. And that was in the teenagers. So, actually, the, the ratio looks really good. Well done, Fox. I mean, not Fox, um, fictional Fox.
1: Well done to Catherine Hardwick and her team, because I think if this film had been expected to be the hit that it was by Summit, they wouldn't, one, they wouldn't have let a woman direct it. <laughs> they didn't uh, let a woman to... direct
0: it afterwards, after that.
1: Well, exactly. But they wouldn't, I don't think they would have kept that cast as, as more diverse as it, as it is.
0: Yes yeah, so I've got the some sort of census data here, and um of the teenage population fifty three point one percent are white, which is it becomes seventy three point seven percent above the age of eighteen, but that's not the very white school that Maya portrayed or at least neglected to mention but then again, this is research, so
1: one of the things I actually quite like about the film is one these people have personality, so you have <laughs> these really genuinely sweet moments with bella and her dad who is gruff and struggling a little bit to deal with having his daughter in his life again but he's working at it
0: yeah and and she's
1: working to build a relationship there too
0: and that you can tell that they're not really the most extroverted people so you've got two introverts just sort of trying to interact but their natural inclination is not and both of them are trying to pull the other one out but it's a struggle for both of them because it's going against their natural inclinations
1: the bit where he cracks a shotgun out is still funny he's like finally my time has come this series is also a series of films is also really unique because it has the same screenwriter for all of them
0: melissa rosenberg because i was reading it was i was doing some research for various reasons on jewish vampires and, and um there was a description because we talk about the Twilight books being about Mormon vampires, but she actually dis- But Morgan- Melissa Rosenberg, who wrote all the um, movies, um, describes them as being Jewish, being kosher, which I thought was interesting. So it makes you wonder how much of the movies is brought in by all the different people. Because while Twilight is mostly Meyer's work, plus an agent and an editor, etc., Twilight the movies is a much bigger team, especially when you get into the later but later movies and they become a bit more traditional action movies when the dudes take over because um wasn't it up until like Frozen Twilight or something like that Twilight was the biggest success of a movie directed by a woman
1: it was one of them i believe Kung Fu Panda 2 was oh yeah above that it. was
0: that would have been it i thought it was some there was some other um, animated movie that kicked it out but it was for quite a while and by quite a large margin Twilight was the most successful film directed by a woman
1: and as Catherine Hardwick the director of Twilight said in documentary misrepresentation they didn't even look at a woman director when it came to New Moon it didn't even cross their mind
0: and that includes the woman who you know did everything to set it up
1: well we're seeing this now with the Fifty Shades sequel you know you went from a woman screenwriter and a woman director to two dudes although in fairness I really don't want any other women near that I feel like our, our gender has suffered enough
0: I don't want anyone near that just total, but it's going to be really interesting to see what the dude take on this very, well, this het dude take on a cis sis-het female fantasy will be like.
1: Written by the author's husband.
0: Yeah, because one thing will be interesting is, will dudes take the advantage of the rating and the expectation of sex to put in more
1: boobies? I really feel like he's not going to be writing much of that script. I feel like his wife is going to be doing it. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just reading over it, darling. It's fine. No, I'm not typing at all. No, you go back to just sleep. Cooking noises.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we talk about Twilight being a, a very specific female fantasy, and that's why it touched a lot with its audience. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't dudes that read it and like Twilight. There, there are. They exist. Hi. <laughs> assuming really big ego, but the, assuming they'd be listening to us. But this is something that we really need to discuss in later books and later movies. Can I talk about my big pet peeve from this book?
1: Oh, no, this will be interesting. Yes, talk about your pet peeve.
0: Okay, so I don't know if anyone noticed else noticed this, but so we talked about Victoria earlier, and I have a soft spot for Victoria because she's played by—I forget her name—but she was in the first season of Big Wolf on Campus, and I, non-ironically, love that show.
1: <laughs> um, but, Michelle Lefebvre. Thank you.
0: I was like going to call her Rachel, but I'm like, no, it's not quite right. But she's in Under the Dome now.
1: She's very pretty.
0: And she was Catherine Hardwick, replaced by a bigger name in the later movies. In the books, while she is specifically introduced by name, the only person to refer to her by that name are James and Lauren. Whenever Bella, in narration or in dialogue, or any other character in dialogue refers to Victoria, they refer to her as the female, the wild female, or... Oh, you said female. a
1: mouthful there.
0: Yeah. And it's really, really bothers, bothered me because the men, whenever they talk about the male vampires in this situation, the the other two of the, of the trio, you know, the, the Harry and Ron of this group, they get referred to by name. James is always James. Except there's the occasional the hunter or something, or the tracker, but not the male because there's two of them. She doesn't get a name, and she gets referred to as female, which indicates that, yes, there is only one of them. They know her name. They just refuse to use it. And this bothered me so much. I know it's such a little thing, but it's one of my general pet peeves of the internet. So to see it in a book about by a woman, about women, for women, do it too... I expect it in the parts of Reddit that talk about, you know, men going their own way and take the red pill and build us a sex bot or just general men's rights activists part of the internet where they refer to men and females. But to see it in this book, it was just so frustrating. They know her name. They didn't even call her the woman. She is denied being a woman. She is reduced to female, which is a signifier and an adjective rather than... She's not a person. She's not a woman. She's less than... I mean, she's not human, but she's not even worthy of the same words that you would use for... Like, you would call Esme a woman, right? I would hope so. Yeah. Esme, and so they keep referring to the girls, the boys, the women. But Victoria is denied this. She's just reduced to that adjective that choice of word that is used so often by sexist dudes. And because the men get, the male vampires get called by their names, just serves to highlight that fact more.
1: She's just and that says an awful lot about the attitude that the offer has towards that character, but also the attitude that they want the reader to have towards that character. Yeah. Deliberately or not, and honestly I think a lot of the shit that happens in this book is entirely accidental. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like I'm not giving Meyer a whole lot of credit, but given the way that she has talked about the evolution of the series, you know, I feel like I'm probably in the right tier.
0: Yeah, although Maya says Victoria was named after Queen Victoria, Victoria is also the name of Stephanie Meyer's mother-in-law. So, <laughs> well, because <laughs> remember, a lot of ed-going? characters in Twilight are named for uh, Stephanie Meyer's family. Her her brothers and sister all are in the werewolf, are in the Quilliot trap. Jacob is the name of her brother. Yep. I make Twilight creepier for you, if you didn't already know that. And that's also, I probably think, an indicator of the Jacob subplot being not planned at all, because why would you do that?
1: Oh, there's so much to unpack there. I'm glad that we're leaving that for a later episode, because... Yeah, it, um, it, there's 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 not enough hours in the day for that.
0: No, but if you do want to read more about um, Jacob and the Kalutes and everything to do with that, do visit um, Debbie Reese's blog. I will include a link, but it is American Indians in Children's Literature blogspot dot com or just Google Debbie Reese slash American Indians in Children's Literature. She mm. has basically run, written the definitive stuff about um, Twilight and Native American characters and treatment thereof. Also, she's just a really good read in general. I mean, we are not American at all. Kaylee has clearly been to America, or at least to Disney World, where she decided to watch Twilight stuff. It totally counts. Yeah, I have not been to America, or Canada, or Mexico, or England. (laughs) But I do live in Lord of the Rings world, so whatevers. So it's always a really good read. Um, And she has so many great links to things definitely visit her blog about this we will be referring to it a lot because she is clearly the expert that we are not and we are very happy to point everyone else in the direction of someone who is um, Native American and talks about it from that perspective we are not suitable as non-American white chicks to talk about the, the issues surrounding Native Americans in Twilight and other Yagadol fictions. Or fiction in general, rather. Anything else that really, really, really bugged you? <laughs> Since we're talking about pet <laughs> Oh! I've got one, I've got one. Tyler! Frickin'
1: <laughs> Tyler! He
0: at least gets to be... He, his creepiness mostly gets toned down in the movies. Although, they added a new bit of creepiness to him. So, Tyler is... The, we all know Tyler is the dude who nearly did us all a favor by kill, nearly killing Bella with his truck. But in the books, he... Well, he asked Bella out to the Sadie Hawkins dance, which is a girl-picks-the-boy dance. But considering every other boy in, in high school um, asked Bella out, it seems to be a really soft rule. But he... Asked Bella out after he knew that she wasn't going to the dance at all and was going out that day. He explicitly says, "Yeah, I thought you were just letting him down easy," referring to, I think, Mike. Possibly Eric. And then goes around telling people that they are going to the dance together. Well, I, no, wait, he I think he'd been telling her about the, they they were going to the dance together before he actually spoke to her about this. And then um, later he says, "Well, there's still prom," which indicates she's definitely said no. And he's like, well, I'll just keep trying, and I'll try again later. And it's like, Bleh! that guy. I mean, Mike has his own nice guy moments and flare-ups, but he seems to be in recovery. Bella, po- he, he's just entranced by this new girl, which I, I forgive them a little bit more because, you know, she's a change. She's something different. She's exciting. She's got stories of the big city. She's, you know, they've imagined this glamorous big city girl, and they got Bella. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but once he she points out, hey, Jessica's kind of into you, he's like, uh, oh, probably because you know there was like the, oh, we're friends, nothing's going to happen mode. So he sort of goes into recovery. Occasionally is lured back by the stunning, stunning beauty and personality of Bella, but at least he sort of moves on. But uh, Tyler, the men have issues with boundaries in this, and even in the movies when they re- get rid of all his asking out Bella. His first introduction in that cafeteria scene, did you see? He Remind hasn't even me. spoken to Bella. He runs up behind her, kisses her on the cheek, calls her my girl now, and then runs away with something of Mike and Mike chases after him. Oh yeah. Also, I am sorry, but Bella Swan does not appreciate having a meet cute moment with Michael Welch. I'm sorry. <laughs> the man is the clone of Colonel Jack O'Neill. Appreciate. So, I will sorry, say that... before I jumped onto you, did you have anything else that was really really minor that bugged you?
1: Hold on tight, my little spider monkey?
0: Yeah, that, that's a terrible line. But then when Rosalie was like my monkey man, I'm just like, Yeah, okay. I totally get that one.
1: The fact that they all have matching vampire baseball outfits
0: How boring are they that this is like their one thing?
1: That that whole thing still makes no sense to me. Oh, we have to play baseball in thunderstorms because when we crack the bat it's so loud instead of the bat just shattering do
0: they have like special equipment because wouldn't they like destroy the ball with the force that they hit it or something like that but then again like i said research, none of this made- physics because i think the extent of her research was googling place with the least amount of sun and done that's all you need to do <sighs> but now we have things like google earth so you can at least look at pictures so we we did it We read Twilight and it turned out to not be so bad. So either it's not as bad as we thought it was, or we've just been through so much worse afterwards that Twilight is just kind of, we're just so numb
1: now. I think if you read the book when it originally came out or you read it amidst the pop culture craze that it became, you at least owe yourself a reread free of that. Yeah, You'll have a fuller understanding of the context, if nothing else. But it's always important to understand things that you don't like. especially when they're as popular as this series is 120 million sales guys
0: yeah that's is it is that just the single book alone is that the that's the entire series okay because i was going to say if it was just the single book alone that would be like jackie collins numbers rest in peace yeah it it was interesting because we know what came in the wake of it it started the paranormal boom everything else became popular everyone was trying to hunt for the next creature Fairies, mermaids. Especially mermaids after Maya mentioned something about writing a mermaid book. Everyone was like, quick, we've got to get the mermaid book before Stephanie Maya comes along. Werewolves, that one didn't take off. Angels. And that's probably the big successor that maybe either made Twilight look good or just was so bad (laughs) I have a new appreciation of it. And the title, of course, there is Hush Hush, which is definitely the... Sort of the real definitive example of a Twilight riff of taking the Twilight mold and putting it on another thing, and then just ramping up everything creepy about it, including biology scenes. <laughs> oh, that book sucked! I hate that book. I hate
1: that and book, and I hate Twilight.
0: I mean, there are also people who have written fantastic things about the because um, there was a big wave of Mormon YA writers writing paranormal romance and who are all really successful. I mean, the latest one is Colleen... Who?
1: Hook. Hoke. Ah. I've, I've been pronouncing it Hoke.
0: Okay, we'll go with you. I'll blame you if I'm wrong. I remember when... Because she's just had a, a book come out, Reawaken. Yeah, I will say credit to Twilight series for casting, most of the time, people of the actual ethnicities of the characters. If they're not native to the if they weren't you know born in the actual country of origin they are at least of their ethnicity so i will give credit to twilight when it gives credit shock horror i know but i will be nice it's had a huge impact we talk now about the takeover of men in young adult stephanie meyer really confirmed the place of women and the female market in young adult and beyond quite a bit would you agree
1: oh yeah i think in many ways she entirely rewrote the rule book
0: well, probably of she what read the rule book to begin with that that would, be,
1: that would be why
0: yeah i mean i love my vampire fiction i love my vampire ya good or bad and so obviously i owe stephanie meyer a huge debt she's managed to achieve things that very few authors have done and a lot of those that have achieved it have done so in the wake of her. She is now using her position to promote and create media by other women. She's producing films by other women, and she's now got the um, thing with other young female filmmakers making short films or something in the Twilight universe. Yes. So I hope we get the sort of the revenge flick of Rosalie killing everyone.
1: And in Stephanie Meyer's own words, she's over Twilight.
0: But it's Twilight over her.
1: Keth, we have a conundrum.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so for all our complaints about Twilight and everything, it's really not the worst thing in the world. There are probably worse vampire stories out there. I have a feeling that there definitely is.
1: Understand its problems, but understand its appeal. Yeah. Which is all you can really do with pop culture that has permeated the landscape as much as this one has.
0: And Twilight, the book itself, is not terrible. I gave it about a two and a half stars.
1: You know, it gets way worse in yeah, the later books. It's
0: yeah, and that's probably what we're doing is we're all conflating the the horror of the later books with this first one. This is the untouched by everything Stephanie Meyer Twilight book. This is Twilight in its purest form without the. We need to up the stakes. We need to do something with a bang. But this is also Stephanie Meyer restrained by editors. In a way that I don't think she was in the last book. Or... Because at that point, she was a force. You couldn't deny Stephanie Meyer. Because she was only contracted, as you said, for three books. And
1: she had to fight for that fourth book. There and... are very few people in publishing, even with Her Clout, who can say that they fought to have their wish fulfillment completely realized in the form of a 700-page book.
0: And then we paid her for it. In
1: freaking hardback.
0: And then there were two are
1: Oh my god, the two movie thing is ridiculous. But I will say, you owe it to yourself to at least watch the Twilight movie with the commentary, where Robert Pattinson just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah,
0: that's the thing. I think the thing about the movies is the the actors, well, most of them anyway, are just well aware of what they're doing. And some of them having more fun than others with it. Also, um, if anyone who's listening and is a member of... The, just, we'll touch upon this I think in a later episode but there is the um, the whole P2P um, section of Twilight Fandom. If you want to do something that I will actually buy and read, can you give me a Carlisle Esme romance novel please? Or just a Rosalie being badass with Emmett novel? Either of those I will read. Or the fandom got... is its
1: own beast that I think it deserves its own episode. Yeah, or at
0: least just directly some, to some fan fiction. See, that's, that's how big an impact this thing is. I'm like I want to read some more stuff. I came into this expecting to just cry the entire time, but no, I want to explore this world more, and I remember why I liked the book in the beginning. Later books, no. It's like Harry Potter. There's so much more to explore that I want to see the other sides. So give me that, Carlyle Esme, or um, Rosalie Emmett. Or Edward Angela. Give me those. I really want that.
1: I think we're done. Yeah,
0: we did it. Well, until next year.
1: <laughs> we're, we're pacing ourselves.
0: Yeah, we're, because every book came out, and there's so much to cover in these things. One book a year, and then we'll do Midnight Sun, because why not? That's going to be hilarious. And we'll do a great big movie thing as well, because there is just so much to unpack just in the movie side of things. Join us next time for the... We are so excited for this. We are going to be doing Taz de Vampire, the greatest vampire musical ever. There's actually several vampire musicals, but this was the only really good one. It's in German, so... That'll be fun.
1: You can prepare for that episode if you like. It is on YouTube with subtitles. Yes. The German version, not the English language version. That's a whole other thing. Which you is don't probably want to also have to deal on with that. YouTube as well. You don't want to hurt yourself with that one.
0: So, yes, tune in next time for two very much excited um, bloodsucking feminists. Uh, we will be making a small donation to our local rape crisis groups because of it. For reasons we will explain if you would like to do so. That's always a good idea. Anything else you'd like to add? Be prepared. (laughs) Cyberite!